0: Friday morning, the Crossing Broadcast is back. I am Russell Joy at Joy on Broad, joined by Sixers beat writer for CrossingBroad.com, Kevin Kincaid. You can follow him on Twitter if you haven't already, at Kevin underscore Kincaid. That's K I N K E A D. Kevin, a uh, big game last night against the Knicks, got off to a rock, uh, rocky start. Uh, what were some of your immediate takeaways? What's up, Russ? It's nice to be with you early on a Friday morning. Mm,
1: feels uh, good, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, it is Friday, so that's the best part. It is. Uh, my immediate takeaways. I, you know, I don't know. I When I was watching that game last night, I thought it was just going to be one of those where, hey, Michael Beasley's just hitting anything and everything, you know? Maybe <laughs> you just chalk it up, uh, take the L and move on. But uh, no, I mean, really nice. They started, I, I think the comeback actually probably started... On the final play of the third quarter, when they drew up a nice inbound play um, coming out of the timeout, and then they scored on the next possession, the fourth quarter that made me say, "All right, maybe there's maybe there's something left in the tank here." You know, uh, New York was shooting something like I want to say fifty eight percent, fifty seven percent through almost the end of the third quarter. And I think I was just sitting there the whole time saying, "I, I you know, I don't know if this is really sustainable for them." Uh, I think they were a team that had won had had lost something like eight games in a row at Madison Square Garden. I don't think they've won at MSG since. No, like, Jan- like January, like January twenty ninth or thirtieth or something like that. I thought I remembered reading. So, uh, you know, the Sixers kept it within arm's length too. You know, they they didn't let it get to any more than ten. I don't think. Um, and so that that made me think I was just sort of sitting there saying, well, you know, I don't, I don't know if New York can is going to keep shooting fifty fifty seven percent throughout the whole thing. And then, um, you know, you saw. It. I mean, Beasley. I think who started ten for twelve or something like that. I think he was one for his last four or five or something like that. And uh, the Sixers just started hitting down the stretch, and they got some uh, some big defensive plays to, You know, Embiid with the block on Moutier, and then the stare down. I think um, you know it was a little bit of New
0: York collapse, and uh, and a lot of Sixers kind of rallying. So uh, I I got myself in trouble again um, on the last podcast. Um, I, I I guess I criticized Ben Simmons passively, um, yeah. especially for his lack of willingness or whatever. Um, to you know, attack the attack the rim to get involved in the fourth quarter. Last night he had a he had two shots in the fourth quarter, both were at the rim. He made both, so big kudos to him. Mm-hmm. Got his eighth triple double in the game. That was exciting. Um, I don't know. It, it it's weird. The Knicks are not a good team. I I'm wondering in the media room when when you guys are you know at at home games are all together. Do you guys ever get the the feeling that this team is is underachieving, or do you get the feeling that the guys, you know, any of them that are still there that were there through the process years, kind of feel like this team has you know exceeded expectations?
1: I think it's probably more of the latter. I don't know if I mean I think in in certain aspects you could say that people are underachieving. I think that you know Ben, I don't think anybody knew expected him to be this far along in his development yet. So if you're saying that. We haven't really seen much of a difference in his shot, or how often he takes it, or how frequently he hits it, or the free throws. Like you could say individually, just that aspect of him, he's under underachieved in one part of this game, but every other part of his game is is very advanced and much further along than we thought it was going to be. I don't, you know, I'm not. I think I've said on the podcast before. I'm not recalibrating my expectations of the team uh, based on what happened five games in, or ten games in, or fifty games in. You know, I had him at five. I think I had him at five hundred forty-one and forty-one at the beginning of the year. So I, I, and I still think it's just a year where you're trying to see what you have. You're you're coming out of the dark ages of the process, and uh, you know, trying to get some evaluation on Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, and you would have hoped Markel Fultz. So I don't, I don't think it really matters what they do in the playoffs. Um, anything once you get into the playoffs, anything beyond that is extra. You know, is extra credit. You know, and and key experience for some of those guys. But you know, with with Ben, I don't. He had a couple of great assists um, at the end of the game last night. It doesn't – if he's not, you know, going to take shots and if he's not going to s- score the ball at the end of the game, then that's – it's important for him to get involved in some way, shape, or form. And, and last night he did, but other, other nights he hasn't. You know, I think you've seen in some – Nights in the past month where they've done really well in the fourth quarter in execution, he hasn't necessarily been involved. They, they've done well with some of the the two man action with uh, Joel Embiid and J.J. Reddick sort of running those brush cuts. Um, Dario's been involved a little bit, um, yeah. You know, but if but if Ben's you know slinging those cross court passes and kicking out on three pointers, I mean that's that's really what won him the game last night. You know that kick out to to Robert Covington and then Dario Saric had the other three. Um, but I think Ben's actually best pass of the night. He didn't even get an assist for. He he slung it across the court to Robert Covington, put some velocity on it, and then he dumped it off to J.J. Redick for the three. So hey, it's, it's fine as long as Ben's doing something in the fourth quarter. Because um, I think of the Pacers game the other night, I think he had like two rebounds and assists in the final five minutes, and that was it. You know, That was the only thing that he um, contributed. So I'm kind of with you on his shooting in the fourth quarter. I'd like to see him be more assertive. But um, in the meantime, if he's finding other
0: ways to get involved, them then that's fine with me you know yeah uh, it makes a lot of sense uh I, I think one of the, the biggest um one of the biggest takeaways that I have like at least in terms of fourth quarter scoring when they finally took the lead and uh and got it out of reach was you know Covington and Saric um it you know looking at their shot charts Covington in the fourth quarter uh hit a left wing three but the rest of his shots were three-point attempts uh, on the right wing. Mm-hmm. Saric was was totally left uh, left side dominant. Um, it, you know, I think going forward, it, it's going to continue to be interesting to see. Like I, I, my new theory of of why they've had such turnover issues, and you've broken this down uh, in depth before, is not only do they attempt the most passes and um, you know per per team in the league. But I think so many of these guys are such great playmakers, especially as big guys like Dario, you know, playing in Croatia, playing for um, playing in Turkey, playing for the Croatian national team. Like he's always been a guy who's been a, uh, you know, a massively important playmaker and and a a great passer from, you know, the power forward position. And it's the same thing, like in in a sense, with Redick, with uh, with Ben, um, even like Bellinelli, you know, has been known to be a, a decent playmaker. I think a lot of times these guys are just trying to thread that perfect needle. Yeah, and in a lot of yeah. a lot of, a lot of times they just kind of overcomplicate matters. They they certainly don't need to do that.
1: No, you're um, right, man. Listen, like that pass that I just mentioned from Simmons last night, where he he threw the rocket across the court to Robert Covington. It looked beautiful when it went through, and uh, you know, but it was maybe there was a New York hand that was like less than a foot away, and you know the the there's a fine line between what becomes a beautiful uh pass that sets up a three-pointer versus a turnover. You know, I mean I mean I don't I don't think people appreciate how small the margins are, which I think is kind of what you're getting at a little bit. Um maybe maybe not purposefully, but you know with the the whole idea of being a playmaker and trying to find that perfect pass and trying to set people up so that it looks beautiful when it goes through and if not, you know, it's a turnover. But you know, T.J. McConnell said something the other night after the Indiana game where, where they asked him, you know, why, why do we keep seeing the turnovers pop up? And he said, you know, a lot of it is boneheaded plays, but it's also people who are unselfish. You know, and they're trying to make plays, and they're trying to set their teammate up, and they're trying to find that perfect pass. And, um, you know, he didn't seem to be uh, that concerned about it. And Brett Brown has not been that concerned about it either because, as, as I've written in the past, it's 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 not – you know it's part of who they are you know it's that style they they like to throw as he said a lot of passes um they like to speed it up uh, up tempo and up tempo doesn't just mean that they run up the court very fast and try to score like they they move the ball fast you know with brevity um you know that's their identity and so uh you're just going to have a pension for turning the ball over more and when you try to throw those passes it's just going to happen more and it's not i have said from the beginning that it's not trying to fix the issue I mean last night they only had 14 the other night they had 20 whatever you know so they have these wild swings back and forth you know Um, but again it's not trying to to quote-unquote fix the turnover problem it's just trying to manage it and it's trying to get it to a number that you can live with because you know again Philly's the worst turnover team in the league Golden State is the third worst so it is what it is you know
0: yeah, and I think, um, you know, especially coming off the heels of the last game where Joel had, what, eight turnovers himself, uh, him being able to limit his turnovers in that game was, was also huge. He only had three on the game. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, Ben Ben attempts so many passes that, you know, when, when you see a, a higher turnover number, when you see five in that box score, you know, to, to some people across the league, that might, you know, look a little bit worrisome, but it certainly isn't.
1: Well, they've um, always, for, I mean... but many the reasons broke down. Yeah, they've always been able to, I mean... There's so many different ways that you can affect a game in basketball that the Sixers have always have always been had strengths in other areas to kind of compensate for the turnover issue. I mean, the other night against Indiana, they got killed on the offensive glass. The bench only gave them like 14 or 15 points or something like that, and um, yeah, they they shot the ball okay. But again, when when you when you when you miss out on like you know, three other parameters. And, yeah, the turnover thing is probably going to be hard to overcome. Um, but on most nights, they shoot the ball well enough and they rebound the ball well enough and they play good enough defense that the turnovers don't really matter. You know, most teams have one or two weaknesses that they're able to to paper over or gloss over when you do other things well, you know. And, yeah. um, you know, with Embiid, it, it's just – I think sometimes he's asked to do too much. I think, you know, that other game the other night with, with Lance Stevenson, when he shoved him and got the technical – I think he kind of gets pulled off his game a little bit or he loses focus a little bit. Um, Not necessarily to the point where he's not hitting anything or he can't do anything, but sometimes I think he tries to overcompensate a little bit. Like, you know, he puts the ball on the floor a lot, and I think he feels like the onus is on him to do a lot of the fourth-quarter scoring. Um, And, you know, so he gets sloppy, and then he turns the ball over a bunch. He makes bad passes, and he just loses the handle. But but last night he had help from some other guys, and, and that's important because it's not, you know, it just can't all be on his shoulders.
0: It's fair. I'm looking back the last 19 games they're 13 and 6. Uh in in a way it feels as if they've yeah, I don't know, maybe it was just the bad taste that the last game left in my mouth, but you know, it it certainly felt like they had been um in a spot where they'd been losing games. And maybe it's just because of the quality of opponent, like beating Charlotte, beating Brooklyn, and even beating the Knicks. We're all games that you're supposed to win. Yeah. But, you know, in games that they've had recently against playoff contenders, uh, you know, if the only game that they've won, I mean, they lost to Indy. They lost to Miami twice. They lost to Milwaukee in Milwaukee. uh, They lost to Washington. They did beat the Cavs in Cleveland. You know, it I think that might be part of the issue as well. And it's, you know, it's it's funny because, you know, uh, Anthony is is here as well now, Anthony Sanfilippo who covers What up? the the uh Flyers. Yo, yo, yo. What up? And, you know, the the concept of a team, you know, playing well against uh, you know, lower competition and not being able to beat the playoff uh teams is something that Flyers are occasionally known for. And then the Flyers are also kind of their own weird bird where sometimes they they raise to the level of their competition, you know, beat a Winnipeg, but then you know, can go out the next night and and get smoked by a, a team that's not going to make playoff uh, contention. This is, brings us to a, a kind of interesting spot here in a crossover situation with both of you guys. Um, since the Super Bowl, you know, there was that really long stretch for both teams where they had gone undefeated in regulation, and it felt like we were in the glory days of Philadelphia sports. It was that fantastic month of February that will probably go down as one of the greatest all-time months, uh, including that Super Bowl win. And it's a story of two different teams at this point. It, it feels like the teams are trending different. Um, Kevin, uh, you know, going forward, I know the Sixers' schedule is, is rather light. Mm-hmm. Um, they're currently in sixth in the East. How far do you think they'll go? Or how high do you think they could go reasonably?
1: I mean, I still think it's, it's five. Um, because I just don't think it's necessary to... I, I mean, Brett Brown has spoken you know, publicly we asked him straight up. We said, what's more important, home court advantage or just making sure that Joel is, is good to go for the playoffs? And he emphatically said it was the latter, you know, that it's more important to, you know, quote-unquote deliver him uh, to the playoffs. That's Brett. one of Brett's favorite words. We're going to deliver him uh, <laughs> to the postseason. Um, I think once they qualify, they should rest him for a little bit. They still have a couple back-to-backs here. I think they have two in April, and I think they have the one next week with um, – with Memphis and Orlando, and I, I just don't... Even tonight, like, I'm, I know he'll he'll play tonight, and he'll probably be fine tonight, but I, I don't even see the need for him to play tonight. You know, you play the Nets at home. I mean, everybody else should be able to get it done. But, uh, no, I mean, I think five-seed is fine. You know, they lost the tiebreaker with the Pacers now, and I, don't, I don't think the Cavs are going to slip all that far, you know? Um, I, I just... I think the one thing that's that's strange is that and I didn't really think about this when I was talking about how easy the schedule was um to finish the season, but yeah, they're not really gonna have that many amazing tests down the stretch. So then are they gonna walk into a playoff series with Indiana and be like, Oh shit, this is what a good team looks like again, you know? I mean I didn't really think of that, but I think they're in a good spot here really. I mean, you, you said that they had a bunch of wins and not many losses over the last you know, 10 or 15 games or something like that, and a lot of them were on the road. So I, I think people underestimate just how, you know, coming out of the All-Star break, I think they played 8 to 10 on the road. So, um, you know, the late at the end of the tunnel is there. But, you know, as far as the thing with the Eagles and, and them playing really well in February, just real quick, you know, we asked Brett about that, and I said, like, you, you get – this is the I remember the question exactly I was like you know you you get all these questions about the Eagles and you can just say yeah rah rah go Eagles you know that we're real happy for our, like our neighbors across the street right um he could answer those questions very generically and just just bullshit his way through it right but I said you know do, do you on to like seriously do you see like a tangible effect on your team like on the court like do they try harder do they play harder? or is there a higher standard here now based on what the Eagles have done and he said, uh, yeah, there is. And he, like, referenced his parents being teachers, and he said there's this concept called the uh, called the Pygmalion effect where basically, like, when the expectations are higher, you perform differently, you know? And I think that's the same for the Sixers and the Flyers and everybody. You know, you see what the Eagles have, have been able to do. You want to be that. Um, and the fans, you know, now have seen a different level of, of athletic performance in the city. Where they know what the the ceiling is. The ceiling is a lot higher now, so um, I think they got a, a month long bump off of that, and I think there was a tangible effect um, from that. And you know, maybe it's it's finally starting to wear off a little bit. I,
2: I find it interesting, guys, because if you go back to two thousand eight, we didn't really see that effect after the Phillies won. Um, yeah, you didn't really start seeing the teams play. Now, granted, it was the beginning of the year for the. The Flyers, the Sixer season hadn't started yet. Um, I mean, the Eagles—they eventually did make the NFC Championship that year, but they were not—they were not a really good team. That was the surprise year that they made the NFC Championship. So um, it didn't have like that immediate impact right away. So um, I, I just find it—I just find it interesting that it just turned. You know, this year it was like all of a sudden expectations. Suddenly in, increased for everybody just because the Eagles won a Super Bowl. It was it was kind of it was kind of crazy to me, um, and I'm I'm not necessarily certain that it's fair to be honest with you. I I mean the, the Sixers Sixers are a good team, um, and like Russ pointed out, you know they've struggled a little bit against some playoff teams. The Flyers are an up and coming team, and they're struggling against good teams. I mean I, this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. Um, that, that we're at this point. I think that we kinda, we, we've kind of we kind of caught a little bit of lightning in the bottle with with the schedule, working in their favor a little bit um, at, the t- at the same time that the Eagles won the Super Bowl. So I don't necessarily know if I put as much stock into it. I mean, the Flyers were saying the same thing that Brett Brown said. Um, they were all saying the same thing, that, yeah, this is great. The city's got great mojo right now. We feel it, and that's why we're playing well. But I, I don't necessarily know if I buy it. I, I kind of think it was a – this, you know, the the perfect storm where everything kind of came together at the same time for a pretty good month of uh, of sports in Philadelphia.
1: Yeah, I think it was interesting from the Sixers standpoint because the Eagles season was kind of like a cumulative thing that was happening like within the early part of the Sixers schedule, you know, because the Eagles first game was September, you know, I guess the Sixers schedule started during like week I don't know, three or four or five or something like that. So every Monday or Tuesday home game after a big Eagles win, you got the rah rah, here's the chant. You know, it's always the biggest pop every night at the Wells Fargo Center, more than anything the Sixers did. And then the next week, it'll be another win, and they were six and one, and then they were seven and one, and then they were eight and one or whatever, right? And I don't know, like, so from a Sixers standpoint, because it happened, like, within the season. Uh, I think the Phillies thing, as you mentioned, Anthony, was kind of strange because, right, it was off season. you know, it was kind of a different calendar, uh, you know, outlook. Um, but I don't know. It just it felt like you could feel the culmination of the Eagles season, like, within the Sixers season with two teams that were kind of trended in the same way. But, um, yeah, I mean, then you hit the All-Star break, and it changes a little bit. You know, you just hit that gap where you're not playing. So, I don't know. It, it's an interesting study in sports psychology. Maybe somebody can do a – class about it somewhere sometime you know yep so we're i i i, Sports I would be, psychology on the crossing
0: broadcast at 6 30 in the morning that's maybe, maybe that's maybe that's a, an idea for fridays going forward um I, I know we we brought this up and this is a, an aside uh, before we kind of dive into the uh, the flyers loss last night um but we we mentioned on monday that um you know part I think usually when when Kyle's not here or or when Adam hadn't been here before um, people always wonder why why there's like alternate programming and so um, just to to kind of touch on that really quick we mentioned on Monday's show that we're going to be rolling out a podcast network um, that's going to include um, a plethora of shows if you will Um, the crossing broadcast will be uh, twice a week at at some point when that rollout finally occurs and it looks like our Friday episode is probably going to be the one that over the summer is going to either become a highlight show or if there's big news like in the midst of a playoff run here with the Sixers and the Flyers you know this might be a a personnel staffing kind of thing that you might start to see um you know on on Fridays you know as long as those playoff runs go um Anthony is going to be you know co-hosting a, a Podcast, a uh, baseball podcast, which I think we can finally announce the name of here, uh, Anthony. I don't know if you want to do that.
2: Yeah, yeah. First of all, Kevin, we're alternate programming.
1: Yeah, how does that feel? I, Feels good. I know, right?
2: Jeez, <laughs> that's great. Thanks, <laughs> oh, thanks, Rob. Geez, um, for God's uh, sake.
0: <laughs> What's oh, we
2: are, man? We are uh, yes, I, we are doing a podcast. <laughs> me and Bob Wankel uh, for doing all all Phillies all the time, um, and it's going to be called Crossed Up. So that's uh, that's we're, we're hoping to debut that um, ASAP. Um, we're just waiting on one or two things. I think Bob was uh, Bob's going to be doing the Russ job, handling all the editing and, and, and the like. And I'm just waiting for him to, to kind of get his um, his understanding and of uh, the system that we use to do it, and hopefully maybe something uh, next week, sometime to get this uh, get this show on the road.
0: Yeah, we're in, we're in the midst right now of trying to get everything that goes through the same. Uh, I think a lot of times people just think that you hop on, you record, and then it just magically goes off to the to the millions of places uh, to all the podcast networks and everything. And it's not not quite that simple, and part of it is making sure that we streamline the way and the platform we use. We use Art Nineteen, and we're just trying to get all those shows set up. So, in addition to that, Anthony's also going to be co-hosting a uh, hockey podcast. Anthony, do you want to re- release the name of the uh, hockey podcast to the people? Uh-huh.
2: Do we are we finally are is that oh, finalized, I, Russ? Are we I, I going with, with it. this?
0: Yeah, I went with it. I uh, it. we're
2: going. We're going with Snow the goalie.
0: There you Snow go, Snow the goalie podcast.
2: Yes. Um, so Russ and I will be doing a hockey podcast now. Which I don't know how much longer we're, we're going to be able to, you know, talk about the Flyers. I think that they have three weeks left in their season, um, but at the, at the very least, it'll be something to get started off with. Here, the end of the season, maybe around of the playoffs, and then look at the off because it's going to be a very important off season for the team. Um, considering how how close they've got or barely got in, and uh, I think expectations, deservedly so, uh, will be ramped up for next season. And, and it's going to be a big offseason for Ron Hextall
0: uh, and how he constructs this team moving forward. So that's going to be like another thing. We've we've uh, heard plenty of feedback about the need for there to be more hockey coverage. So we're we're putting it out to the people. Hopefully, you'll enjoy that as well. Um, there's. Uh, there's going to be a uh, a soccer podcast that's going to go out on Saturdays uh probably Saturday mornings maybe Friday nights. <laughs> um oddly enough and and for those who have listened to this podcast and who have followed on Twitter um this is an interesting pairing of sorts. Uh, it's it's me and Phil Keidel um and with contributions <laughs> from uh from Kevin uh, <laughs> and it's Both of uh, us just called... laughed. Anthony and I just laughed when you said it was you <laughs> you and uh, Phil. It's like, it's a beautiful marriage in a sense. Uh, so Phil and I actually recorded a test show the other day um, and he was so excited and I was as well, but uh, Phil is, is really knowledgeable about the international game. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for something or if you know people um, who are looking for a podcast that kind of covers champions league, the EPL, Syria, La Liga, Ligue 1, like all those things. Um, plus MLS and maybe a little bit of touching on you know their crossover in in Concacaf Champions League with uh, Liga MX, uh, that'll be a go-to show and you can let your friends know. Was it uh, just uh, who...
1: was it just forty minutes of Phil telling you about
0: Manchester City and how great they are? It wasn't, which was really interesting. I thought That's what I, it would be. <laughs> I kind of thought that there was going to be a lot of that, mm-hmm. and it, it it actually it really wasn't. It was uh, it was really enjoyable. It was a it was a good show. Well,
1: we're looking forward to it.
0: So, and uh, you know, I think finally, if I'm if I'm remembering this correctly, uh, Kevin has been doing his uh, his Philadelphia Union centric soccer show. It's always soccer in Philadelphia, which you can find on most platforms at this point. Um, they're just going to become part of the the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. So um, we'll be putting shows out there to your ears every uh, every day of the week, practically. Yeah, we're pretty close. We're, to and we're it. still
1: going to actually write articles for the website too. How about that? There yeah be... i mean that's alternate alternate job duties uh, <laughs> that's, that feels like alternate programming at this point yeah
0: yeah it's true. uh i'm gonna i'm gonna hear this i'm gonna hear this forever now wow. i think uh, uh and i don't know there there might be another show in the works um i don't know it the things around here every once in a while there's an idea and it's you know typically when <laughs> when they take off it's uh yeah. you know it goes from zero to 120 in about you know 0.5 seconds so uh, there might be something else coming down the pike, but as of right now, that's the lineup, uh, and we'll be putting out like a, a legitimate schedule and all that kind of stuff through the site at some point. Um, so that's that's that shameless plug for uh, for you to you know keep an eye out on and subscribe to all those shows. Um, let's talk about the Flyers, Anthony. Um, they they lost again last night. Uh, it, it feels like the wheels are falling off, and I think more than anything, I feel bad for Claude Giroux right now who's in the midst of a, you know, a great bounce back season. And it, it just feels like once again, they've wasted another great year by Claude and, uh, he, he goes down blocks, a blocks, a pass with his face. And it's not like he's the only guy who cares, but man, like, it, I, how do you explain this free fall that it seems like the team is in?
2: Um, that's a great question. And, and, and I tried to uh, get a couple people people to, to answer that last night. And, um, it's really a situation I think where they they kind of arrived and we kind of I t- touched on this briefly when we were talking about the uh, mojo of the Eagles Super Bowl, but they kind of arrived a little bit too soon, um, they, and I think they got a little too big for their own britches. Um, they, they played great hockey for not just the month of February, but if you really go back to the start of December, I mean they had the second or third best record. in in the league, depending on, you know, how many games you, you put into that, uh, that sample. Um, but they really, it was almost the equivalent of a half a season. It was just under a half a season. And, um, and they, they literally you know, got everybody believing that they could make some sort of run this year, um, playing that way. And I'm not certain that it was, it was ever, realistic. And it was one of the reasons why I kept trying to say uh, with, with my, with my stories on the website, you know, I don't, A I don't, A, I don't, I don't get it. Um, how, how they're winning games because they're not playing the greatest hockey I've ever seen. Um, but I guess we just got to go with it until, until, you know, it, it falls apart. Um, and B they also had in some stretches really, really good scheduling um, against teams that were in the midst of getting ready to fall apart, um, or getting ready to trade off players right after the deadline, um, teams that had dumped players. I mean, you know, we talked about that Rangers game and, you know, that was a, they won, that was a total mess. That team was in complete sell-off mode at that point. So, um, you know, so they, they really kind of, had that building for a while. And in this this stretch of games was looming on that schedule where they were going to play eight consecutive games against teams that were in the playoff race. And teams, not just teams that were in it, but a lot of teams that were firmly in it and were battling for top positioning um, in their conference. And you kind of expected that they were going to hit a bump in the road here. Now, did we expect them to lose seven of eight? Probably not. And once you get you know, onto that kind of streak where you're not playing well. We saw it with this team in November when they lost 10 straight. Um, It's hard to get out of it. And it's you doubt yourself. You question yourself. You start trying to do things you shouldn't try and do. Um, You get away from your game plan. and, And this is what's happening. I mean, they are running into the same chronic problems. They ran into back in November when they lost 10 in a row and they really have to figure it out now they, they you know the schedule does ease up for them a little bit um after this weekend but they really do have to find their way out they've got to start getting at least a point in some of these games they can't keep losing in regulation because that's what's that's what's killing them i mean if they get at least a point and lose a game they're going to be okay because they can they can kind of stay ahead of what's chasing them but if they keep losing in regulation, They're going to fall out of a playoff spot. And and that's a that is a a very real possibility that we are seeing the equivalent of the 1964 Phillies here where you were in first place with 20 games to go and you end up not making the playoffs.
0: I think more than anything, that's the most alarming part of this is, you know, I I called it a free fall and it, it really is. I mean. They were in a spot where they they reached the you know reached first place in the metropolitan division, and I felt like not like they're going to be battling you know necessarily for home ice. Like I think we eventually kind of expected them to regress to the to the mean. But like for them to be in a spot now where they could you know very very realistically, it's not even a, a far fetched hypothetical. It's very realistic that they could you know not only fall off here but miss the playoffs entirely. Um, you know, is is it coaching? I know that, I know that Hackstall has taken a beating, and I think, you know, during that win streak, a lot of people had kind of hopped off the fire Hackstall, um, you know, bench, but they, they seem to have kind of come back out, and, and it, it feels like some of, and, and this is a thing that I, I, you know, maybe would have liked to have talked to Kevin about in a crossover here, um, it feels like lineup choices have kind of doomed both of you know, both the Sixers and the Flyers at, at different points this season were late game rotations for the Sixers and and, uh, you know, the the line uh, the line decisions that Hackstall's kind of implemented, especially after Giroux got hurt last night. He rolled out some wacky looking lines. Um, you know, is is that what this is? Is it is it more about the lineups or is it about the player effort is it about coaching? Like what where do you where do you put the biggest?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't I don't necessarily think it's player effort. I mean, I think that these guys try. I, mean, I really do, and and you see it. I mean, you know, they get down two nothing really quick yesterday, and they fight back. You know, and then they're down three one, and they fight back, and they're down four two, and they fight back. So, I mean, it's not like it's not like they're going into a shell and just saying, "All right, that's it, we give up." They're not waving that white flag. Um, so, I don't put it on effort at all. As a matter of fact, some of the mistakes that they make are born out of too much effort. Just um, really not not doing it the simple way and and a lot of times hockey is best played simply and um and the mistakes that happen in hockey end up being from somebody trying too hard or doing too much um and that you know at some point you have to sit there and say okay well you know yeah the guy's trying but geez he's not doing it smart he's not playing smart hockey and and you got to rectify it and that's where it comes to coaching and that's you know, I look at the coach and I, I've never been a big supporter of it, I, I, of him. Um, and it's not like I don't like the guy. because you know, Dave Haxwell seems to be a nice enough guy. He answers your questions when you ask them. Um, you know, he, he's not Mr. Personality, but that's OK. You don't have to be if, if you're, you know, if your team's winning. Um, but I never quite understand what he's doing. At times, and you know, the thing that I think that you were pointing out is, you know, late in games they've had guys on the ice that don't really make sense for those particular matchups. And I pointed out in my in a recent story about Val Philpola, Um he was on the ice uh, against Carolina against Justin Williams line, and they they abused him. Philpola was on, was matched up against Sidney Crosby in the Penguins game, and they abused him and um, makes the turnover the other night against Vegas and it costs the Flyers a point because they give up a goal um, to, uh, in the last minutes of the pier of the third period that it, they could have at least gotten to overtime and then potentially a shootout. The Flyers are a pretty good overtime slash well, they're an over pretty good overtime team. They're not a good shootout, team. but um, if they at least get to overtime. Then you have a shot real shot at getting that second point. Um, and yet he makes that turnover. Now, I, the, the one thing that the Flyers would say back to me is, okay, who do you want on the ice at the end of the game? And, the you know, of course you say, well, I love Couturier on the, on the ice. And they say, well, he, he can't play the entire time, so somebody else has to be out there. And that's a fair argument back. But I think that the, the problem ends up being is that, okay, we, we expect Val Filippo, because he's been in this league forever, he knows how to play in these situations, is the guy who can come out there and, and we can ask him to try and do the job. He might not be ideal, but he's better than anything else we have. But when he continues to make the same mistakes, I don't care how long you've been in the league, you find somebody else. You put someone else out there. You know, I made a suggestion and put Michael Raffle out there. I mean, Raffle's more of a winger than a center, but he has played center in the NHL. He is more defensively responsible. Um, he's not going to just turn the puck over on a, on a you know random break out at the blue line and have it come back the other way give it a shot it can't be worse and I think that that's where it comes down to coaching is that he becomes so set in his way that his philosophy is going to ultimately work out that it that it ends up hurting the team and so, so that's where I think that coach goes wrong and you're right there were some goofy lines after Drew went out last night that didn't really make sense um uh, and the mistakes, the same mistakes keep happening over and over and over again. And I'll let you get a question in because I know I'm rambling here. But I want to talk about that specifically because, you know, I, I broached it with Giroux and I broached it with Coach. And I got two different and interesting responses from those guys last night.
0: Well, give us those responses because I'm up against it uh, having to uh, to get this thing mixed and, and put up. <laughs> For the people, uh, okay. we'll, you know. Of course, we'll touch again on this next week. We'll have you back. No on. problem, um, but give give me the um, give me the the two sides.
2: Yeah. So I first I, I asked Drew, and I said I said Claude, I said, um, is are the problem? You know, you keep mentioning you know, oh teams take advantage of a couple of mistakes. Is this something that is a different thing every night, and you guys just keep you know being victimized by it, or is it are there chronic? mistakes that keep happening and he asked me to repeat the question and i thought all right maybe i asked it weirdly but then once he answered it i knew he understood me the first time and the way he said it was you know that's a really good question but i can't answer that and the reason he can't answer that is because he does not want to say publicly that his teammates are making the same mistakes over and over and over again and they're not being corrected so that to, to me not answering the question the, and it, well, or answering it the way he did, spoke far more volume than him actually answering the question. Yeah, to be honest, I think that he not saying anything said more than any than he ever could have. I then asked the same question of the coach at the press conference, and at first I didn't think he was even going to answer me. He gave me like a three-second blank stare. If you go back and watch the press conference, coach's press conference. Uh, on on TV, he looked at me and didn't say anything, and I and I know that he understood the question directly, and then he answered and he gave me a good answer, and, and he pointed out you know the second goal he was really disappointed with the way that was played because it's the way it always seems to happen. Four guys were caught on the boards. Four, all three forwards and a defenseman were caught on the boards. The um. I, I forget who it was. I think it was Atkinson who scored the goal for Columbus comes off the wall and beats Brandon Manning to the center of the ice. But it's And it was Brandon Manning last night. It's been Brandon Manning before, but it's been other guys uh, as well. And he beats him to the slot and they lose the 50-50 battle. The puck comes right into the slot. Easy goal. And, and so he said that kind of thing bothers him. Well, of course it does because it keeps happening to you. So something has to get rectified there, you know, and then he also said separately, which I was I was kind of impressed with, because it's a, maybe the first time he kind of threw Morassic under the bus. He said, look, I guy didn't give up a bad goal last, in the game last night, but he didn't make the big save when we needed it. And so that becomes an issue as well. Why it's do you per, keep yeah, going? It's pretty damning. Yeah, why do you keep going to the guy? Um, and I know that's who you traded for to kind of come – but if, if he's not doing it, if he's not getting the job done, then you have to try something else. It's, it's a definition of insanity, expecting the outcome to be different when you keep doing the same thing over and over again. You have to, you have to try something else. And I think it takes too long for him for him to try something else. You know, earlier in a year, we go back to when they only had the one line that was scoring and Vorchek was up with Couturier and Giroux. I mean, there were people, including yours truly, who were, who were saying, break that top line up. You know, there's all scoring, and that's great, and it might affect, you know, Couturier might not score as many goals, but you need to spread the offense around and create at least a second scoring line. We talked about it for eight, ten games until he finally did it. it you know, maybe if he does that two or three games sooner, they have two more wins, and they're now not worried about blowing this this playoff spot you know, with 10 games to go or 11 games to go. So uh, I don't know if, if, if I can see it with, with my, you know, amateur eye from the press box, and you can see it. And Joe fan on Twitter can see it. Why can't Dave Haxtell see it? And that's when I sit there and say something's up with the coach and and they need to address it. Although I think Ron Haxtell blind to it, to be honest with you.
0: It's great stuff, Anthony. Uh, hate to have to, you know, cut it short, but, um, you know, this is no, this is a reality yeah. of our of our early. Yeah. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate Kevin coming on, uh, especially after you guys had to stay up late write the game recaps. Uh, make sure if you're listening that you check out CrossingBroad.com for their uh, their official write ups on the games. Uh, as always, thank you for listening to the Crossing Broadcast. Follow us on Twitter at JoyOnBroad at Kevin underscore Kincaid and at AntSanPhilly. San Philly. Uh, we will catch you again on Monday. Uh, have a great weekend.
2: Later, Russ.